inspired by poetry. Let's give it some lip. All right. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another podcast on life inspired by poetry. And we are so fortunate this week. We are joined by Dr. Marcus Bussey who is going to talk about his poetry, his poetic process, his poetic inspiration, mm-hmm. and just what he, why he feels poetry is an essential aspect of life. But I'm also joined by TB. I'm glad to be here. And Marcus, you're laughing a bit at my singing. I was that. thrilled uh, good, to good, have good, some good. acapella. <laughs> you know, I just think that's so cool. That's Go hand in hand, don't they? <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for, I should be close to this, I guess. Thank you for inviting me along and giving me a chance just to reflect on why I write and why I read poetry. Oh. Because to me, that's, it's an essential part of my process. It's excellent. It's part of also my, I think, my sense-making in a way of bringing lightness into a world that can often be dark. Mm. I'm I'm not good at writing tragic poetry, though I have obviously done so at different times when I've been feeling tragic. (laughs) (laughs) Which we all do. Yes, Yes. we do. But, you know, I I tend to, to look for some kind of lightness, but... For me, poetry is also deeply intertwined with my thinking and feeling and, and again, process about theorising yeah. reality, my, yeah. my, my yeah. way of reading the world. Yeah, it's, it's philosophical, isn't it? It's yeah. like the, the, it raises your consciousness about the things around you. A- absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, and that word consciousness is really key yeah. for me, is that who am I? Obviously, we are language beings, yeah. but we're much more. Yeah. Now, language has its sort of lovely penumbral sort of fuzziness around it, where I can say ice cream, and you might think of chocolate chip, and you might think of vanilla, and I might think of spearmint. You mm. know, uh, it, there are there are all these kind of shadowy elements to yeah. our use of words. Yeah, that's right. And language, you know, that connotation that's attached to it, a kind of it's constructed. We've given symbols mm. to represent sounds, to represent ideas, to mm-hmm. represent forms, to represent then some sort of transcendent thought or philo- philosophical idea. Absolutely. But, but really the philosophical idea comes first. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then yes. We, we use language as a way to try to navigate it. But then language releases and nuances that philosophical exactly. idea. It's, it's like they grow in tandem. Mm-hmm. There's this, a, a dialogue even within our own relationship with our own yeah, writing that's right it's incredibly dialogical i find out what i know and what i well i learn by writing mm. a lot of times yeah. because it's in the writing in the act of writing that i key into like you say a certain word that's like it just opens up to yes yeah that's mm. what it is yeah. it's this it's not this it's this yeah, yeah. and it's quite contextual isn't it it's yeah. our lived experiences are all varied in the, the how we see the words i was talking to a colleague recently about dream and she mm. said do you dream and i took it literally do i go to bed at night and do i have thoughts in my head and do i dream and i said of course you do of course i do every night mm. i go and i dream and i was thinking i was just like you know Trauma dumping is what my dreams really oh, are. Okay. But she was talking about dream and this idea of something bigger or greater yeah, that one can aspire yeah, to. Yeah. And I realized how nuanced it is, right? And mm. how contextual it is. Yeah. Like, so my dreams help me with my stress, right? I, 
release it into the into my <laughs> thoughts in the night and I wake up the next morning renewed. Mm-hmm. But she was talking about something much bigger and that's what yeah. I think the beauty of these words are. It's how they but they mean something very mm. different to mm. all of us. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah, I, for me I relate to obviously both kinds of dreaming, but yeah. dreaming that is in a sense a voice for yearning. Yeah. For that longing that we all have for a world that is maybe more joyful or more just or, or better. you know, yeah. better in whatever yeah. way. Uh, and that to me, that yearning is what really motivates a lot of my poetry, actually. There's yeah. this yearning for something. That's for sign. the next big thing. The title of your book of poetry. It's yearning for that. Yeah. yeah. And because I uh, lecture at uni here and I do my history stuff and my future stuff, I see very much that yearning's at the, at the heart of culture. Mm. actually that it is why people have built pyramids at different times or created you know the most amazing urban landscapes or agricultural civilizations or just done something amazing in their own world you know that. that that you know there's this beautiful piece of glass blown in in the fifth century BC in Greece that, you know, someone's found in an archaeological digging, you just look at it and you think, that is just wow. an extraordinary piece of material culture. Yeah. But the whole world around it that grows out of that, the intangible that comes yeah. or accompanies the tangible, is just like that's that's the human. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that to me is like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Agreed. Mm. Agreed. Love that. Yeah. So the next big thing. Mm, that's right. I'll hold the book in <laughs> that, my hand. That's that's loaded, loaded isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's loaded, isn't it? It is loaded. The, and, the you know, I, I often, yeah. when I'm asked to do something with my, my poetry, I often read that poem, but I've chosen not to read it today. I mm-hmm. think, you know, it's there are other ones. So because of the context that we're doing this podcast in, I have thought to actually focus on something that reflects my dance between theory and practice yeah. and being. I yeah. think those three things mm. are there because to me they, they work. And I've spent a lot of time writing about it, obviously more academically, mm. but I think that some of these poems sum up very pithily aspects of my academic interests. Excellent. Yeah. So well, I'll read this one. That's right. My Voice, which you picked, you know. And I think it's a great one because it really does kick the ball off. So here we go. My voice. Theory and distance dwell amongst the thrownness of it all. Embodied scholarship and personal resistance work this space, the churning chaosmos. My body wears it all. Poesis and poetry, declarative in nature, demand a response. We shall rise up, she declares, and I respond again and again. This is a body wisdom calling. My heart throws itself against my ribs, mixing eros and critique, blood and light. And what is this path? A challenge to conditioning, a doing differently, a patterning of new lacuna, a dancing of community back into the flatlands. My voice sings my body's ability to act as an intimate conduit of transformation. My voice and I, we, us, them, it, harmonic a singing bowl for the chaosmos and the skin that seals us all in. 
That is, until we realise our perfect connection to a grace of greater things. Oh, thank you. That's wonderful. Thing, yeah. mm. So, I mean, it's... <laughs> I mean, I'm saying so much there. Oh, and so much. I mean, I could footnote. I've got I, with this book. I actually do footnote occasionally because oh, I, yeah. I draw on all sorts of stuff. But you know that the second line there, amongst the throneness of it all, mm-hmm. Heidegger. Heidegger. Yeah. That's know, what I was going to say. You know, that sign. Yeah. And that sort of thing. So you've got, and it just pops out. I mean, I don't sort of sit down and think I'm going to write a philosophical poem. Right. Yeah. I'm just sitting there, and suddenly the the hand of the muse puts lands on my shoulder, yeah. and I go, oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and off I go. And yeah. it just sort of flows out. Nice. But uh, so it's, to me, it, uh, I read about poetic practice or praxis, and I'm nearly always touched by an inspiration when I write. Yeah. yeah. So it comes quickly as opposed to the craft, craft, craft. Right. And maybe it's because I've spent, you know, so many decades developing my written craft anyway. That's right that it's not that sweat and hard work stuff that it might have been when I was 20 or 30. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned Mm. in the poem the word poesis, Mm, which is to make, to bring into being. Exactly. And it doesn't matter how quickly or how long it takes. Yeah. Poesis is that act of making. Absolutely. And Mm. so poesis and poetry, declarative in nature, to me that's that's what we are sort of, again, that thrownness. We're thrown into this world. Yeah. Mm. And we spend a lifetime trying to fathom aspects of it, trying to understand elements of the us-ness, the beingness. But to me, it's also that community stuff, I, we, us, them, yeah. it. Yeah. You know, that there's this whole rich milieu in which we emerge yeah. as consciousness, and which, of course, consciousness is just constantly yeah. flowing. Mm. Mm. And your voice is more power than just of the self, right? Mm. It, it captures that community yeah. and its Because it's not my voice. It's not your it's voice. It's so my, my yeah. voice. But yeah. what is it really? It's yeah. not my it's voice. Not you voice. could actually say, ah, yeah. ah you know, yeah. you're playing a yeah. trick with us. Yeah. You know. But, yeah. but I think that's the, 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 the craft of, of curating, right? It's like mm. you're really thinking about how much life you can give to something, making it more meaningful. Mm. So it touches other people in different mm. ways, right? Mm. Your voice, but yet much bigger than that yeah, yeah yeah and it was my voice first and then i think and the then, body acts yeah i think you had in there as yeah. well so yes, it's, it's exactly. kind of like first you have to yeah. see and talk about and, and move forward towards and then yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah then you take those steps exactly and also and, and those steps are something that obviously forces me to engage or invites me to engage and I think that both we're forced there's coercion and there's invitation always at play but you know I'm thinking about you with your Greekness your (laughs) your love of Greek tragedy and and so on theoria theory which is the first word is distance that's right okay so there's there's you know if we have to stand back we can actually see Aristotle you know his poetics flowing through this definitely Definitely. so was it deliberate did you set about to not no, deliberate I, at all? I mean, okay. the, the, the yeah. word theory and distance, I'd been, I, yeah. this poem came out of me teaching some theory course. Okay. And I was, you know, and, you know, way I was introducing it to the students, I think they were third year students or something, yeah. you know, was, okay, so what does theory do? Yeah. And it so acts as a lens and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, you know, I was probably driving home or sitting around somewhere and suddenly this, it's, it sort of went a theory and distance. And then, you know, it, it's about me. Yeah. You know, we, we 
talk about objectivity or being, you know, scholarly or academic as having distance. But really, it's so personal. It is. Because you're making choices. You escape from that personal nature. That's right. Mm. We are the drivers of the Mm. action. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the lens you use is, is yeah. yours, right? Yeah, exactly. So what yeah. is reason? What yeah. is rationality? Yeah. Well, it's just a set of rules that, you know, make sense within one context. Within context. But we also, it's a deeply an emotional thing. Yeah. Rationality is an emotion. Mm. We often don't recognize that. Truth is an emotion. That's why it's so hard to have conversations with people who have different truth mm. positions. Yeah. So, so when you write, do you do? You, so I often think about the audience. Mm. Like I often think about what I want them to feel or how I want them to emotively connect with mm. what I'm writing. Mm. Is it part of your process, or is it more an internal process of this is what I need to get out? <laughs> yeah, I think it's the internal, but I'm always. I mean, you write to communicate. Yeah. So there's always. Yeah. Am I just writing for myself yeah. to communicate and, and nail something for myself? Well, sometimes that's probably true. Mm, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But also, you know, as if we say, well, I'm a poet, yeah. you're actually declaring something yeah. quite significant. You know, you're saying, okay, I'm writing to share yeah. something that has core importance to me in some way. I want to share and invite you to engage with these things. So somebody who doesn't know Aristotle could read that at one level right. yeah. and get something out of it. Yeah. That's right. So I'm trying to, uh, I write in, in, in layers, yeah. which is exactly my pedagogy too. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm you know, talking about something like some funny um, historical event because some young people in the room that's all they know about history is that, yeah. oh, and this is an interesting new thing, yeah. like that glass bottle from twenty uh, from yeah. five hundred BC or something. You know, you give them something like that, but then you start talking about the culture and the soft stuff around it. So mm. then you're layering, and somebody else picks up on that who's had you know some other experience. Yeah. But it's also a teaser for them to go and I want to explore more, right? Mm. So yeah. I might not know a lot about Aristotle, but when I read that and I connect with it, I go, oh. Now I'm interested, mm. right? Yeah. So I often yeah. find it's a teaser exactly. for bigger so, things. And, well, that's the greater things there, the bigger things, yeah. the greater things. And, yeah. and, of course, to me, a poem should have or does have a declarative and a didactic dimension, just like yeah. the uh, poem you read the other day in, in your first thing from Alice Walker. Yeah. You know, it's very much a didactic poem at one level. And... You know, for the readers, what was that poem called again? So, so, for the listeners right now, do we know? Can we point them at it? No. All right. When did we do? Um, <laughs> I'm thinking back. It was. I remember the lines in it. Um, Say a line. I'll remember. Um, to love what is plentiful, not just what is scarce. Oh yes. Yeah. I'm glad it's not just me. No, no, no. That's uh, that's very cool. Um, yeah, but anyway, so. For me, the, this poem is didactic. Yeah, absolutely. But it's m- more than that. It's more. It's more about come and dance with me. Come and yeah. play. Yeah. And and feel the the pleasure of words. Yeah. For themselves, there's a sensuality to words yeah. and language, of course. And and then you know mixing eros with critique and blood and light. You know that's yeah. the line from the poem. So we've got all of those things because a poem should have an erotic 
Oh yeah. Frisson. You know? it, it has an appeal. Yeah, it has some, it has something to, there, yeah. doesn't it? That goes, oh, yeah, yeah I really love that. Yeah. Which explains why some people will get off on Shakespeare, whereas other people will get off on Wallace Stevens or, yeah. or you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, we, because we have, you know, uh, I guess our sensory experiences are also attuned to, in different ways to yeah. different kinds of language, different sorts of imagery. You know, there's a scent to poetry. Mm. Yeah. I think you know, and you can. I, I really think that we have these cultural senses too. Yeah. yeah. So our cultural, our primary one, of course, is memory. Yeah. And to me, I, I do a whole thing on aesthetics, anticipatory aesthetics, which is something that I've been theorising for nearly a decade now. And to me, memory is really key to how we perceive, to what we are drawn to, repelled by, what we can, what, what's visible and legible and what is illegible, but maybe the illegible is that that's last lines, there are grace of greater things, that there's something there mm. that puts you in, yeah, yeah. That, that wins, you know, that comes through. And there's always the unattainable before it becomes attainable. Yeah. You know, there's there's always those those voices that come in, and they're they're just a before their time, mm. and then later we look back and we go, oh my gosh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like Langston Hughes, yeah. you know, like we look nice, at what nice. who they are and how yeah. and and what they were actually looking at, yeah. and now from distance we can go, they were spot on, yeah. But, exactly. but also to say so much with so little, right? Mm. It, that that's the the art for me. It's like to mm. say so much with so little, mm. the least number of words to really <laughs> tell you the story, right? Yeah. To yeah. paint that picture, to introduce you to something. Yeah. Um, that is, you know, that's the next big thing for me. <laughs> it's yeah. like, how do you, and, and we compete in a world now with limited attention span, mm. right? Yeah. Um, so this should be like, the time that poetry just takes over because mm. it doesn't take a lot for someone to engage in poetry yeah. and to get so much more out of it. Yeah, no, yeah. it's very true. It, actually, I touch on that in this other book here, Beyond Alienation, which yeah. is a book that I co-edited. Um, and when we started work on the introduction, I did the first draft and I went to the um, poet's uh, pharmacy. There's a, it's a, a kind of movement in, in England okay. where it was being noticed from probably about 10 years ago, 2013-14, that the sale of poetry books was going up, mm. you know, as we got closer to Brexit and mm. everything. Wow. And people were getting really depressed and, yeah. and everything, mm. you know, that, that people were actually engaging with poetry much, much more. And that's because I think uh, as we get battered, uh, you would have to say, by the kinds of, you know, uh, negative forces of the media as yeah. much as anything, mm. that people start looking for solace. Yeah. And that solace is coming often from things like poetry. Yeah. Home bread baking, you know, these sorts of things. Yeah. They sort of got a lot of hype over COVID, but it was happening before that. Mm. People are going back to simpler things. Yeah. And yeah. poetry incredibly complex incredibly yeah. subtle but it's also you can grab it in but you your can. hand and you can walk it's attainable with it yeah you it's can attainable. walk with it over a day or two or a yeah. week it's attainable yeah. Yeah. and I, I found that so if I if I look at where poetry has been placed in my life mm. the philosophical movements around the things that have happened through history kind of 
they converge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a, it was a, an easy way for me to understand that. These are the things that, you know, the big questions that I had in my head, mm-hmm. but this was like nice. the, the really, the fast track to understanding it, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's that's how I came to love poetry, is mm. that I was introduced to the Alice Walkers and the Langston Hughes as a child, yeah. um, who told these powerful stories. But even as a kid, I got it. Mm. <laughs> I didn't have to go read a history book. I got it. You know? <laughs> and war poetry. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. yeah. During during yeah. The World War II, yeah. the poems that came out during that yeah. time, you just you get a, a yeah. huge sense of that kind of mentality yeah. of the unknown and the uncertainty. Yeah. When you say that, one of my favorite poems is Do Not Weep Maidens for War is Kind, mm. right? It's like, you know... I, I wish I could introduce people to all the things, or <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big Ogden Nash fan as yeah. well, yeah. you know? And people will remember what <laughs> the things that he's written, but they don't give him credit for the the, the gravity of <laughs> what he's yeah, actually doing. Yeah. You yeah. know, so so I, I love the the fact that this the you know the philosophical take, but as you say, theory is a lens from which we see things and how. Yeah, yeah. But it's personal, right? Absolutely. I mean, to me, there's a deep spiritual quality yeah. to poetry that yeah. you can't deny. No. And because it, if it touches your soul, then there's been a, an electric connection. Oh, yeah. Just That's like right. that. Zing. 220 and volts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Bang, you know. And some sometimes even just a line will just yeah. transport you somewhere yeah. else. Yep. Yeah. And you, you commented on that with the Alice Walker book. Yeah. That there are these lines that come out and you they stick to you, mm-hmm. you know, in, in ways. And they'll yeah. pop up at different times. And, and they're quotable, right? So I quote yeah. that many times. You know, mm. we should learn to love what's abundant, not mm. just what's scarce, mm. because it tells me that as a construct in a society, we're mm. always looking to deny people by only valuing the things that are unattainable, yeah. right? The least yeah. accessible yeah. by the many. Yeah. And what she's saying, you know, the sand, you know, lots of it. Absolutely. Why don't we give it value? And. It, to me, that 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 applies to so much of our world. Yeah. You know, we can walk around being worried about invasive species. Yeah. But sometimes you look at an invasive species like I don't know a camphor laurel, and you go, oh, "That is just an extraordinary yeah. creature." And you know, and you've got to love it for what it is. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so we, yeah, we take that as a, it's almost like a toxin that yeah. we have it within us that we we want to value stuff because it's it's the only one of its kind. Yeah. Or, whatever it might and of course that applies to poetry what's good poetry as opposed to bad poetry yeah. so many people say I can't write, write poetry or I can't read poetry yeah. but you know it's because you know in third grade they were slapped about you know and made fun of or you know whatever There's there are these little things in our past yeah. Yeah. that deny us from so much of our, our soul work yeah yeah it's true and it does matter if it's whether or not the it's internal or external, right? I mm-hmm. never write poetry to please other people. Mm-hmm. I always write it for me. Yeah. But then I think about it, about how it's going to be read or understood mm-hmm. by someone else. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's, it's, it's where you are. And I think if we learn first to do it from the self mm-hmm. and then to then communicate it with others, then it's a totally different path. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's no, very true, uh, but you know, being aware that um, I, I sort of grew up in this kind of tradition where poetry often contained secret knowledge. Yeah, 
and that's me being affected by Robert Graves and his white goddess sort of stuff. I don't know if you know that mm-hmm. book, but it's you know uh, everything has a secret, a double meaning, <laughs> double meaning, you know, and layered. It's so layered. Yeah, and it's so layered. And of course, some of his was just pure, you know, fantasy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, some of it was rather. To me, it was exciting. And so for me, poetry, therefore, invites you to just keep... It's like archaeology. It's just Mm. like keep digging down. What's there? And, you know, you go back next week and you read the poem and you'll see it totally differently, you know, which, of course, is is almost a a truism. But, you know, uh, it's it's still worth saying is that I read my poetry and it's like I'm reading somebody else's poetry half the time. I look at it and think, oh, that's really interesting. Where was I then? I have to go back and I can remember. I wrote this poem for after a theory class, you know, when I was thinking and feeling because I don't teach just as a thinker. I teach as a feeler and I'm an embodied teacher. Yeah. Mm. What's funny, we were just talking about a poem and I said, I know where I was when I wrote that. So Ah. it's good to know that I'm not the only one doing that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know that there that captures it captures the mindset yep. I had on that day, yep. or the voice in my head that says this is the line, and mm. you don't know what. So it sounds like a, a lot of your process happens like that. You you observe something in your world, exactly. yeah. and you need to make it. You need to make sense of it. Sense of it yeah. and make yeah. it important and make it last, yeah. right? Yeah. So then you have to put yourself in this process of what do I do next? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's that uh, positioning of you in a life world yeah. that's real. Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, if we, we look back on Shakespeare or Chaucer or anybody from, you know, that distant past, but they were living and breathing yeah. when they wrote that poem. Yeah. And they were feeling things, they were responding to things, there they were longings and, you know, senses of... Uh, you know, maybe desperate for income. Mm. You know, yeah. I mean, Shakespeare yeah. was writing yeah. for, you know, pay. for, for pay, <laughs> yeah. you know, almost by the words. That's know? right. The good old days. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's so, I mean, they, and, and Dickens was doing yeah. that for sure. Yeah. Although, yeah. You know, from the 19th century, often yeah. that's why Dickens is so wordy, you know, because yeah. he has to fill in more and more words <laughs> so I get paid more. Yeah. But, you know, so, but every everybody who's written anything ever, that were living and breathing when you and yeah. we forget that also when we're reading philosophers or historians yeah. or literary theorists or and that they were uh, they were responding to yeah. stimuli that they Absolutely. saw within their society yeah and it was yeah. a profession right yeah <laughs> and but it's a it's it's a living yeah. profession yeah. and that's really the important part is that there's we cannot ever separate the words from a historical moment yeah. or a biographical moment or whatever it is. The and context. That, that is probably why yeah. when you read a poem, it comes alive. Yeah. Because of that life behind it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's like a message in a bottle. Yeah. yeah. You know, just toss it out and you know, who yeah. knows where it'll go. Who knows? Yeah. So are you inspired by philosophy? Because I hear the, the philosophical undertones are throughout, mm-hmm. right? So is that an inspiration for you? Yeah, or? it is because philosophers have a neat way of touching on things that are often, you could say, disowned. Yeah. I think in, in yeah. a way that there's, you know, we want, you know, we want to just keep living our life and don't disturb my worldview yeah. but philosopher's job is to come along and historians too many many yeah. of these professions literary theorists yeah. you know to come along and actually say hey but mm. or what about yeah so we got this lovely term chaosmos which comes from Deleuze and Guattari yeah. you know and I, I play with that word all the time because it's so much we want order but then there's disorder yeah so how do we bring that 
into Me let's say know. onto a page. Yeah. I mean, a page is very ordered. We've got black and black squiggly things on a white page. Yeah, and that's yeah. generally what a poem appears like, right? Yeah. But then if we start thinking about it, that's when all that soft, murky stuff and the context and the biology of the person who was writing it, you know, you know all that other stuff is there. Yeah. And that's what makes poetry live, which is what you said, Gina, just mm. before, really. It's, this, it's that sort of thing. So philosophy, definitely. Uh, not philosophy for its own sake, mm. but philosophy because it's a signpost yeah. to in the quest for human understanding of what does it mean to be me yeah. or us or you know mm. you know this planet we're on this planet so Bruno Latour stuff or, or any of that kind of guy and stuff that comes from ecofeminism or wherever you know it's just awesome yeah, yeah <laughs> I could go wave yeah. my arms around and yeah. start, you know and you know I, I would love to be able to spend a lot more time playing with that stuff because mm. we we live in a very constrained world we're all at this university but you know the teaching is so narrow mm. you know the parameters we get to play in how do we change that though because if the next big thing yeah. <laughs> i always go back to that what do we need to do to change it because we we know the value of it right yeah. there's no there's no questioning that there's value to the introducing people and engaging with mm. in this form so how do we change that I th how I, do we make the time mm, to change that's that that's such yeah. an interesting question for me there's a couple of things there that come up firstly uh, i'm certainly i you and i teach Gina. do you teach no i don't okay all right so we teach and i think our job is to be subversive yeah mm -hmm. very much sowing these ideas all the time in in any way for people to pick up on so in our own little bubble we can be subversive and sowing seeds for yeah. the next big thing yeah but beyond that i think some uh, timing is really interesting you know and looking at the way timing plays out we're going through a really narrow point in western civilizational yeah. history at the moment you know it's neoliberal it's totally utilitarian uh, we're being told this is education, but actually it's conditioning, and you know we we mix the words up now. Uh, so, will that ever be forever? No, it won't. You know, and I think human beings are naturally subversive. Yeah, you get so many different people coming back. So I we've got a lot of young students, but they're also those middle-aged students or the even later life students who've returned and want to do poetry, mm -hmm. or they want to do something totally non-utilitarian yeah and i think those people you know and are examples of the kind of human beings at work that are really changing the world all the time the world is not just this given stuff that around us mm. i think it's constantly alive to renegotiation yeah. reinvention and evolves to something else yeah, right absolutely so so, yeah. so how do we do that? I almost think that we need the platform in the middle of the square and we need an opportunity oh, for people to come together. Oh, that's what this is about, isn't it? This, <laughs> yeah. You should have it in the open air. Every little bit. You know, I, you know, there are some awesome podcasts out there, you know, the On Being podcast from Krista Tippett and people yeah. like that. They're, and I, I, I'm just constantly going around being, uh, you know, inspired yeah. by mm. the kind of work that people are doing to create other spaces for culture to emerge and other spaces yeah. for human beings to do their human beings thing yeah. you know and the number of and the the rise of indigenous philosophy yeah now mm. is just so heartening 
you know, but also the kind of subversion that's coming out of the sciences, the hard sciences. Yeah. You know, I'm running a, a, a session on death futures in um, September. Oh, wow. Uh, I've been doing quite a few of these and they're really starting to rock. I love them. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at death technology and the kind of cultures that might emerge around new technologies because mm -hmm. technology spawns culture. Okay. Yeah. End of lesson. Yeah. Uh, so, but I mean, and, but the, the point is, is that in that, you know, I'm working with Monica Gagliano, who's actually has some relationship with UniSC, uh, but she's a professor for, with a marine biology background who uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago started having these incredible insights with plants. Mm. And it's almost shamanic. Mm -hmm. And, and then she went off to Ecuador and went on shamanic stuff. And to, oh, wow. she, but she's woven that into her incredibly thorough, well-theorised kind of re-evaluation of our plant sentient. Yeah. Of course they're sentient. You know, I go and talk to my cabbage all the time, all the or whatever time. it might be, you know. But, you know, this is, this is important stuff because yeah. to me that uh, that's an invitation constantly to reconfigure. Mm. And, you know, a lot of, you know, our fellow academics don't get it. Yeah. Uh, or they are so wedded to a discipline. It's really, to me, that transdisciplinary, interdisciplinary yeah. stuff is so important. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think that's the, mm. the thing is that we need to be more transdisciplinary, right? Yeah, yeah. Because we're all connected. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes. And one of the things you mentioned earlier about this is this idea of yearning. Yeah. And, and you know, you look around and you think, is our society yearning? Yeah. What are they yearning for? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, that yearning is, I mean, what are we yearning for? Because I, I think uh, it's more passive right yeah. now. Um, or is it asleep? Or is it asleep? I don't know. Yeah, see, because well, when, I, when I talk to people on an individual level, I get something different than what I observe, right? Mm. So what I observe would say there's a sense of apathy, but what I what I engage with on a day-to-day -day are people who want change, who want something more positive, mm. but maybe just stuck. Maybe stuck. Maybe stuck to a certain Maybe degree. not seeing a path Maybe not seeing a path or, mm. or believing that there's, mm. there's no voice. They've lost their voice. Mm. Uh, and they've lost their voice in the greater voice, mm. you know. Mm. Um, and so they don't, they're lost in, in, or asleep or something. Yeah. And that's what I said. What can we do? How do we, how do we give that call out to the community to that say, it's okay. it's okay and there's enough of us around, mm. right? And yeah. if we work together, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, to me, that's, that call out is ongoing. Yeah. There are people all over the place making that call in different ways. Um, and yet we need, and this is again timing. I think timing is so interesting. We forget about the temporal dimension yeah. that we inhabit. Mm. That temporality is not just linear, it's folded and shifting all the time. Um, and for me then, what happens is things come along that galvanize consciousness. Yeah that suddenly you, f you realize that you're not alone, that there's all this other stuff going on. Sometimes it can be, I'm not alone because I'm with the forest. It, it's not just us as human Correct. beings mm. being a species doing species stuff. It's a planet. <laughs> it's a planet or it's the cosmos. You yeah. know? And that, again, that gets down to that kind of spiritual worldview, which yeah. is just relational. We are embedded in relationships. Yeah. Often relationships that we cannot even 
begin to appreciate yeah you know intellectually yeah you know i rabbit on about this stuff in classes and you know how this happens and i can tell stories i'm narrative is really mm-hmm. there yeah. but even so there's this other stuff that just escapes whatever it is that we're yearning for how do we yearn well if you're a materialist you would yearn for more cars or more houses or mm. more money it, but you know if you're a cultural person you might just collect books or you might do something quite different like all these you know, there are a lot of nerds around where i live who co- seem to be collecting old cars you know <laughs> from the 50s and 60s these old you know, holden cars and so yeah. on uh, and doing them up and it's incredible work of love mm. yeah it is. but it's something that they're doing with their hands that they can do yeah that takes them to a time when they obviously felt you know larger than life they were youthful yeah. and you know 20 or 30 year old guys driving around in eight cylinder <laughs> <laughs> things you know and and you know that that's that's also really important to me because how we express our yearning is going to be totally unique yeah. again like you said earlier on it's contextual yeah but you know there the thing is that ultimately we're yearning to cross go beyond the horizon i think yeah. there's this horizon consciousness that we have that we don't even know we have but it's 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 biological it's genetic it's why human beings moved across the planet Mm. so quickly over a few thousand years Mm. but we spread out of africa and we went around the planet what was driving people or you know if you're an environmentalist you could say well there's only a certain amount of energy you can draw from that piece of land so the tribe every time it got to a certain level had to split yeah that's true yeah. But if you look at what was going on inside in the consciousness of those early human beings, uh, they were painting on walls. They were doing yeah. all sorts of stuff that shows that there was this other yearning, mm, other dimension. Yeah. And that you know that's that smell that you know. You go, yeah. Oh, and of course yearning goes with foresight. Yeah. It goes with how do we foresee and how do we anticipate, mm. and not just that. How do we strategize so that we can achieve something a little bit more? For me, my family, my community, my planet, whatever it might be, whatever your parameter of consciousness is. We can achieve the next big thing. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. That oh. sounds like you're drawing things to a close. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we close, I'd like you to ask differentiation. I'd like if you read that and we'll oh. close on. Oh, yeah, yeah. sure. That's right. that. Yeah. that would be great. Um, Here we go. Yeah. This one's a nice short one. Yeah, so, I mean, we're talking about differentiation. We're talking exactly. about the, the the vagaries of categories. Yeah. You know, how, what does it mean to be man or woman? Or, yeah. Or, you know, sentient, non-sentient, yeah. plant or animal, or whatever. Mm. So that's what this is about. Um, differentiation. Differentiation of a kind, perhaps, the woman made man, the man made woman. And one once made is bereft. A cut across the space of being, mapped by him, moulded by her. The symbols we know, chalice and blade, and from the shadow, the other is made. Mm. Love chalice it. And, blade. <laughs> and it just folds in. It just folds. It just folds yeah. in. The chalice and blade, of course, is a title for a book in the 1980s. Yes. Rianne Eisler mm-hmm. yeah. was a major, major breakthrough, I think, in intellectually. It was. Yeah. In, in looking at the categories that shape and hold us prisoner yeah so when we're talking about what does it take yeah we have to recognize that our categories are 
given usually by somebody else. Yeah. We're living other people's stories. We're living yeah. other people's categories until we start claiming our own categories or actually saying, or no well, labels. Like? Or no what labels. Or yes. no labels. Yeah. I, I, I like the no labels. That's a really interesting yeah. idea uh, to me, the, the no labels idea. Can, because the way we have been conditioned in culture is that there are there are always labels. Yeah. So how do we shuffle them? How do we dissolve them? What's the solvent? But, but it, and how would we find yeah. our yeah. belonging? But, but yeah. it, the labels makes it easier, but it doesn't necessarily lead to better things, no, no. right? So I think no. it's, if we can accept that it may not be as easy, <laughs> then no labels make sense. And that's where I've come to in my life. It yeah. doesn't have to be the quickest pathway. It's just the one I want to be on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And so for yeah. me, I like to, I, I, I don't like labels because it can, there's, there's, it's, it's, I feel like imprisoned. Like if, yeah, when I, when the labels yeah. are there, it, it, it confines me. It tells me what is it, what's right and what's yep. wrong and all of those things. And I think it, it's sometimes I'm missing the discovery, right? Yeah. And the nuance. I mean, in the nuance or the yeah. context. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually on this no labels thing at the moment <laughs> in that different, it's, don't put a label on it. Let mm. me figure it out for myself yeah. and you can still, have your opinion of it, but let me figure it out for myself. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I've lived my life. Well, that's, to me, that's the object of, let's say, critical theory. Yeah. Is the dissolution of a label, which yeah. causes prisoner. I mean, Foucault puts it beautifully, you know, it's about being governed a little less. Less, yeah. By whatever, by whatever the context. But he never says it's not being governed in At absolute all. sense. Yeah. <laughs> because that's kind of like, then yeah. let's go back to being an amoeba or yeah. something. But even an amoeba is governed that, That's too frightful for people to. <laughs> no, we, so yeah. at the same time, that striving for freedom, which is a yearning, yeah. that constant striving for freedom to realise a little more yeah. within this little space that is my own little consciousness, yeah. plural consciousnesses, mm. because I'm not an individual, I'm a yeah. collective yeah. Mm, something. <laughs> well, it's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely, lovely cushion to end the day and the yes. conversation. I think we uh, could uh, yeah. sit and talk yeah, all afternoon. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, forever. because there's just so many, like, yeah. there's so many uh, idiosyncrasies and variances yeah. that we can, we can mm. explore. And that's what I love about it. And yeah. you're right; it is a yearning. It's a curiosity. Yeah. It you know, and Absolutely. it it is just it's a it's a it's a decision, really, yeah. to get yeah. into poetry. So we thank all of you who are listening yes. for making the decision to join us. We thank you, and Dr. Thank Marcus. You too. Thank you so much. <laughs> really appreciate it. TB is always a pleasure. And I encourage everyone, the next big thing, yeah. right? Absolutely. <laughs> Go get the book. Go and get the book. Go, Go get, get the, the book. book. The next okay. big thing. Yeah. Wonderful. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Adios, amigos. Bye. <laughs>